Hi, and welcome to the Boat Princess podcast. My name is Nikki Vo, and I'm your host. I am a boat owner, a marina owner, a director on the Marina Industries Association, and a huge advocate for boating. In this series, I'm sharing the stories from every nook of the boating industry with the intention of encouraging more women to join me and for more women to get behind the helm too. I want to share the experience and opportunities of boating, of the boating industry, and I want you to join me as I bring the conversations and answer all the questions you've had. Boating is not just for the glamorous and rich and famous. It's full of beautiful and interesting people making the most of our natural environment and getting out there, enjoying the waterways. So let's set off the lines, take over the helm and escape to the world of boating. Welcome to another episode of the Boat Princess podcast. I am at Sydney Super Yacht Marina and I'd like to say thank you to our Marine Sydney, to our mate Mike Joyce for lending us his boardroom, but we're actually interviewing one of my faves in the business here in Sydney, Paul Maletta from Q7 Marine. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Nikki. Very kind words. <laughs> Well, I have to say, Paul, when I was brokering boats, you were one of the people that took me seriously and you helped me get into the fold of the brokerage world and and gave me support and, and you were really great. So I really appreciate that. Yeah, well, it's no real surprise. I mean, you were very good at it and I guess it was really, I guess what I think we try and do, which you'd naturally do, is really listen to people and understand what their needs are and in boating that is so important selecting the right boat for the right job exactly so. right I, don't, I think doing this podcast I've learned um, I listen even better than I did then and it's an incredibly important part of selling isn't it to listen absolutely absolutely because a lot of the times we were dealing with first-time buyers and they were relying on us um, to make sure we had the right boat and and that is super important because, you know, their usage may involve seven or eight people all the time and, you know, they, they, they do want to do overnight and there are specific boats that can and can't do that comfortably. So we obviously want their experience to be as good as it possibly can from the beginning and, you know, even to the extent that we used to say to them, you know, if if we thought there was going to be a change of weather, maybe don't go out, give yourself a chance the first few times, make it a memorable experience for yourself and your family because boating is all about family and um, and it, and it's great when you're showing boats that, you've you know, you've got the family there so you're able to even direct questions directly to the kids. Obviously, mum and dad are the most important decision makers but understanding the kids' needs and, and, and moving forward what they want to see in boating in the next, you know, two years and five years of their life. That's, a, that's actually a really important point. Some people, when they buy a boat, um, blokes have a certain – it's usually the guy that drives the boat first um, and the dad, and they, they have a sort of ego attached to that because they think, oh, I can drive a car really well, I, I'm really successful in business – um, all those sorts of things. I can do this, no problem. And driving a boat is a very different thing to any other thing they've ever done before. And 
sometimes they don't go and get that lesson or that advice or that um, that learning before they put the family on the boat. I would always recommend that. Yeah, well, that's that's really important, obviously, but it's also a great way to build the relationship with the client because that's that's where they really rely on you, apart from the selection, but knowing that you're there at a phone call um, if, if, if they require that. Yeah. Yeah, so that's something you obviously focus on in your brokerage, Q7 Marine. That Absolutely. Yeah, that it's not just selling them a boat. It's giving them a, it's, a it's, new lifestyle. It's really, um, I mean, I, I came from the car business before that. And the car business, it was, a, it was a different business in the sense that, you know, you'd sell a car and then you'd see the people sometimes the next time they want to buy another car. But in the boat industry, it's not a big industry in, in Australia. And it's really important that that relationship is built from the beginning. And, you know, over the years, like yourself, we've had people that have bought five, six boats off us and they've always just trusted us. I mean, even at the time when we were bringing boats in from America, I think overall we bought we bought over 100 boats in, in about a four-year period wow. for, for specific clients' needs. And out of all those boats, only one of them actually came with us to America to do the inspection on the boat. Gosh. And he was a he was a, a guy that had bought three of us. He'd bought them. He'd had a bit of fun with them. He'd sell them. He'd upgrade. And he came more because it was fun not to to check our work. But that was really important that, you know, we were able to do that. And, again, that's about building trust and rapport. Yeah, yeah. So... Let's go back a little bit into your world um, and discuss your career as as it has evolved. Um, schooling, did you go through to year 12? I did. What, what was I that did. for you? I went to St. Pat's in Strathfield. I did year 12 there. I didn't do, really, didn't do well. I often joke about um, kids these days that are getting ATARs of 80 and 90 and I told them that I I got 98 when I did my HSC, not telling them that it was out of 500. So <laughs> I guess that in a nutshell sums my schooling. You might want to stop at that now. <laughs> no, then I, then I, fortunately I had really supportive parents yeah. that said, okay, okay, now what are we going to do with this? And I ended up doing mechanical engineering following my father's footsteps um, and and I was not proud to say, but I, I guess I don't really have regrets, but I, I was three months from completing mechanical engineering. It was a three-year course, and I had an opportunity to go into business with a friend of mine in a car detailing business. His father owned a Mercedes-Benz franchise, and he said, why don't we do this? We could, you know, and, and it, was, it was a great experience. And, again, you know, I... Um, my parents saw my father was always in business all his life in Australia and he saw the opportunity of, okay, my son's having a go, he's being independent. Yeah. And we did. We went out and we, we cleaned cars for the Mercedes-Benz dealership and then we built that business and we moved into a couple of other locations. And that's, after, that's pretty much what I did for 14 years. Wow. Yeah, I had a company called Perfect Finish Car Care. Yeah. And we built it to um, the extent that we were just focusing on new car franchises. We had 11 franchises we were looking after at, at that um, at the most, I guess. 
30 odd staff and we had different locations but we were able to streamline that and have it in one location and we were doing paint protection, rust proofing, window tinting, pre-delivery. So that was something I guess that put me on the map. It was Mm -hmm. a good business at that time in my life and um, it was great because again, again, that's where it was all about people. I yeah. mean, we had great staff. We had a lot of staff that had come to Australia that had, couldn't speak English and they were, guess, limited in what they could or couldn't do. But we, um, yeah, we were able to build great relationships with them and still to date I, um, I have those relationships with them. Lovely. So, I, mean, yeah. that's, I guess I keep, I keep saying relationships, but that's really important, I think, in any business oh, gosh, and in yes. life in general, isn't it's it? It's everything, Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yes. Um, and and presumably through that, obviously you're dealing with, I'm guessing, the luxury end of market of cars, mm-hmm. and and you're therefore with well, certainly with people that care about their car. Look, in that at that point, um, it was dealing just with the dealerships, mm-hmm. and they weren't. Um, they were just price range. There was Toyota. There was Hyundai. There was Holden. They were ba- they were dealerships. But from there, I guess the next stage. I did um I was I was building a house and this all this business all pretty much went sour because I'd put all my eggs in one basket and I was looking after a a um Summit Motors who owned all these dealerships throughout Australia and they decided to withdraw their interest in Australia. So we pretty much my business while I was building our home, um our business pretty much within three months was all over. Ouch. So, yeah, that was tough. So I had to think of something I could do immediately so I could keep earning. So being involved in the motor industry, I'd I'd, um, decided to get my motor dealer's licence and whilst building I'd had a friend of mine who was quite good at buying and selling cars. So he was buying and selling cars through my licence. We were funding it. I was funding it and, and, and we were just dividing the profit and that that was a great three or four years of my life. What sort of cars were you selling? That was more prestige. Yep. Um, that was where, again, you know, we were dealing with people that really had a passion for for cars, um, European prestige cars, always pre-owned. Um, I guess we focused um, more so on um, German and Italian cars. And that was... I mean, that was an interesting time of my life, but it was not something I really wanted to do, which brings me, I guess, to the boat industry. Yeah, how did that happen? And I thought I really would love a change. I've grown up with boats. My father always had fishing boats. Um, when I Not fishing boats as in the last boat he had was a Savage Atlantic, an 18-foot, two-half cabin. Nice. That we'd tow up and down the East Coast and yeah. and it was great fun. So I grew up fishing um, quite regularly. So you got you had a love for boating. I had a love you established for boating. as a child. I understood boat usage and I understood the dangers, I guess, as well. Yeah. In boating. And um again, it was it was um it was dad and I fishing, but it was a real family experience then as well. Yeah. I remember mum used to <laughs> mum used to park the car because I wasn't old enough. I think when I turned eleven I started driving the car and parking <laughs> it at the boat ramp and reversing it. Classic. My dad was so proud of me. Being able to reverse a car when you could hardly see over the windscreen. Yeah, because there's plenty of videos of Instagram, Instagram, on Instagram of people doing that really badly. Yeah, I think you need to start <laughs> when you're 10 or 11 because that gives you an understanding <laughs> of what can go wrong. So then um, I was on the way home. I live in Cabarita and I thought I'm just going to go down to the marina at Cabarita, Dalboras, and there was an office for rent and I thought, you know what, I could do this. I, 
I guess I, I could sort of, instead of doing cars, do boats. I love boats. I thought I'll go into this business doing what I do with cars. I'll hold stock. I'll buy and sell my own boats. And that's exactly what I did. Oh, my God. You just went straight into it. You didn't I work just, for somebody else or anything like that. You no, just did I just that. took a lease on the office. I took a, 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 a one plus three-year lease. I said, I'll give it a crack for a year. And if it doesn't work, I'll, I'll see what I'll do. And it was at the time when... Um, GFC was just about to hit. It was around October, November 2007 and everyone oh, said, gosh. you're mad. Why yeah. would you go into business now or especially the boat business, which is a luxury? And I thought, oh, I don't know. I said, but I said at the end of the day, if I, if I go into this business and, and the world does end like everyone's saying, I'll still be able to sell boats. It'll just be for less money. And yeah. that was my worst case scenario, what I thought would happen. Wow, so you just, no fear, jumped in. No fear. Fortunately, my wife was very supporting of it. We love Lydia. Yeah, and she was she was like, go for it, let's do it. <gasps> and we did, and that's where, um, that's where I guess we started off with, we were thinking of different names for it, and I wanted, an, I wanted a name that sounded like it had been around for a while. Yep. So we threw a few out, and then, then we came up with Q7 Marine. How did that come about? Q7 Marine, um, Q is, I guess, for quantum as incomplete, and yeah. seven is, I guess, the Lord's number, which I guess expressing our faith as well. So we, we, we thought, you know, complete in the Lord, and um, that's where we, you know, the direction we went. My wife wanted to call it promised land. <laughs> I thought, hang on, that's a bit much now. Settle down. That's a little bit too far. So we did that. And um, it's it you know I had calls from people within a week or two and a month of trading saying oh I bought a boat off you three years ago I go, mate you couldn't have yeah we went around it they go no it was you I did and I think they were mistaking us with Seven Seas okay because they were a big brokerage house and also Riviera dealer at the time yeah and, I, and so I thought that's worked yeah and we started buying our own boats and then people were coming to me saying will you sell my boat and I said sure. And I'd have a look at it and, and, I'd, and I'd value it and I'd say, look, based on what's on the market, I think the boat's somewhere in the, you know, in the early 300s or something like that and this is the strategy and the plan. Mm -hmm. And I guess what we tried to do is take a bit of a real estate approach with boats yep. and really get the customers involved. So I used to, I used to say to people, you know, there's really when when you've got to sell a boat, there's only a, there's only a couple of things you really got to consider. One, the condition of the boat. Yeah. Two, the agent that you choose to sell your boat, and three, the agent strategy that he has in place. Because different boats, different countries, different times of the year require different strategies. So you know, the type of boat obviously is really important. I mean, if it's a sellable boat. It's a known brand. So out of those four things there, two of the things are within your control. One is the brand of the boat, which we that is yours, and also the condition of the boat and how you allow us to present it. And the other two is up to who you choose and how we're going to do it. So it really gave them that sense of, um, I guess, that sense of ownership in the, in the whole process before we even started. And then, you know, then GFC came and there were a couple of occasions, but I can honestly say... You know, in in that two year period, maybe two or three people came to us and said, "Look, I really got to sell my boat. I'm in trouble." But no one else did. Yeah. Maybe it was where we were, the demographic. Maybe it was the types of boats. But 
we actually sold boats right throughout that period. I guess another close thing, similar thing is when COVID happened, you know, people were still selling boats. Yeah, well, interestingly, the it's, it's often the tough times that uh, brokers get more stock, isn't it? Whereas yeah. um, it's been really hard lately because stock has been so hard. But um, I'm, I recall during the GS, because that's when we started Empire Boat Sales too, around that yeah. time. And um, it, it was... It was interesting that people, there were more boats available to sell. So um, that made it interesting enough. It was a little bit easier for us over that period. Absolutely. We are at a working marina, folks, so there is a yeah. forklift going past us as we speak. Yeah. Look, absolutely. That was um, that, that has proven to be, um, you know, the case over the years. But traditionally we are working in a seasonal business, so we knew that come September, yeah. Um, you know, come September, people would start thinking boating directly after the Sydney International Boat Show, which was always at the end of July, beginning of August. So that would be our real turning point. And it was really, I think, clever marketing to have it at that time of the year, which was sort of in the middle of winter or coming towards the, almost the end of winter, where people would start thinking boats. Yeah. And the beauty of the shows were that, you know, we'd have clients there that were coming and they'd see something they liked and they'd approach us and they'd say, what do you think we'd get for our boat? And then you'd all of a sudden have another listing and they'd be buying another boat and it was just turnover. It's interesting. I, I don't think um, some brokers regard the boat. I, I mean, I see the boat shows as an important lead for listings, perhaps even more so than just selling a boat at the show. Yeah. Um, it's it's because it's a chance to build a relationship with people and to to get to know you, you know, over a coffee on the, on a boat that's at the boat show or something like that. Yeah. It's it's um I think boat shows are incredibly important for our industry. We actually did a couple together. We did. When you were uh, loved yeah, it. We had fun. It yeah. Was, it's about yeah, it's about really starting the journey with people. Yeah. And they do want to have their handheld as as much as even you were saying, you know, some guys think they can drive and then they realise, wow, I didn't realise that, you know, with 20 knots of wind across the bow that <laughs> it wasn't going to work out the way I did. But they, you know, again, it's all about training. So Yeah, yeah. But there was something interesting in, in our, look, that was one thing. People were coming to us and saying, can you sell my boat? And I thought, well, that's great. Yeah. I mean, I don't need to buy stock anymore. This is even better. I don't have any <laughs> risk here at all. Yeah, because they're on consignment, right? So just Correct. explain to the Correct. listeners. So they would treat us like a real estate agent selling their house. Yep. We would um, get the relevant paperwork from them. We'd sign a consignment form saying that they are allowing us to represent them for the sale of their boat, to receive money and to distribute the money accordingly at the end. So... Obviously, as a as a financial transaction, that's got a paperwork has to be in order. Trust funds need to be in order, and being a member of the BIA was very important. And being accredited because we we operated by those rules, and yep. we said we would, and that's that's what people felt comfort in as well. And then we were just, um, and I just remember we started selling boats, and I used to get to take the pictures out of the out of the win out of the window and put them up on a board behind me with a sold sticker from I think it was those little red sold stickers from from Officeworks and yeah. and we were putting them up and putting them up and we just kept putting them up so that you couldn't there were so many boats there over this period <laughs> that people thought wow they must be doing something right but fortunately we were we had the 
I guess the the luxury of ha- being on a marina with no other brokers. Yes. And we had 150 odd boats there that were at our disposition. And even today, when we're not, we don't do brokerage, local brokerage like we had been before to that volume. Yeah. I've just got to call into Cabarita for a coffee and catch up with someone. And there's always at least a listing that someone spots you and says, Hey, can we talk about my boat? Absolutely. Yeah. So again, that that to me is worth more than any any commission that you can make out of a boat, that that trust and relationship that you've built. Yes. But it's not all good because there was a time that a lot of people in the industry didn't like me. Okay. And that was, there was a crazy (laughs) period when when the US dollar was, and the Australian dollar were on parity and everyone wanted to bring boats in from America. Yeah. And I'd had a guy, Mark Hutchinson, as I started the business, he was living on the marina and quite a smart boat guy. And he said, was telling me about all these things he used to do in the industry and used to bring boats in for clients from Italy and from America. And and me coming out of the motor trade, I was like, yeah, I better just be careful with this guy here. (laughs) So someone approached me and said, can you get a boat in America for me? And I thought, I'll give this marker guy a go. And he came and we got our, bought our first boat in, which was a, I remember it was a Sunseeker, uh, sorry, a, a, a Sea Ray 48. Okay. Sundancer. That's a big boat for Gorge, a sea ray in Australia. Gorgeous don't boat. See, don't see many big, big ones here. Yeah. yeah. So that was a gorgeous boat, came in, and then it started a trend. And we were bringing these boats in from America, but we were doing it properly. We were getting all the electrical compliance done properly in Australia. Yeah. We were inspecting the boats. We built up a rapport of surveyors, captains, shipping companies, so we were, um, lawyers, so everything was so running relationships again. smoothly and efficiently. And there were people in the industry and even the BIA were against us for a while that we were bringing all these, as they refer to, grey imports in. Yep. And there were other people doing it too and there were a lot of experiences that weren't as good as ours. And I remember seeing some boats being unloaded at Newcastle where most of them came in. And there would be other brokers there that would be just, you know, throwing the keys over to someone, there's your boat, it's already been paid for. Yeah. And that was the extent of the handover. Yeah. You know, we'd, we'd spend hours, sometimes, you know, days with them and we'd meet them back where the final location was. And it was really important, you know, that you do that. And then we'd go, and then we'd go further with all the electrical compliance, making sure that all the boats were insurable and, um, you know, people were saying, oh, this is wrecking the industry. But, you know, within about two years of us doing that, they were actually quite grateful because then they were getting those boats to sell if they weren't at our marina and they were far away. And and all of a sudden we generated a whole new business for more boats in Australia. And a lot of these people that came into the industry, they were buying boats because they were just getting on the bandwagon. Everyone else was doing it. Buy a boat from America. Mm. Let's do it. But, and, um Yeah. And, yeah. and and that was that was quite an interesting journey, but it worked out well. Yeah, yeah. Because you, I mean, you know, if I wanted, I know if I wanted to bring a boat in from another country, because there are some boats that just aren't available in this country secondhand, um, that you may want a specific model, and 
and they just don't exist here because somebody mm. hasn't brought it in before. Yeah. So I know you'd be one, the first person I'd call to say, yeah. I need you to do this for me because it's a lot of work. There's yeah. there's a lot involved in it. Yep. And even with my experience in this industry, I would not assume that I know everything to do that. And I'd really be very happy to engage and pay you to do it because I know you know what you're doing. Yeah, well, look, apart from the fact that it was open book, um, it was it was really um, understanding the, the process because we'd have people come into the office saying, oh, I just bought a boat in, in Florida and uh, can you bring it in for me? And we'd say, well, no, because that's the hard part. The easy <laughs> part is finding and buying the boat. Yeah. And I'd say to the guy, what was it? And he'd say, oh, it was a 42-foot Silverton. I paid 145000 and Mark that was with me, he knew every boat available in the world, he'd say, was that the one at West Palm Beach or was it the one that was in Saratoga? And he'd go, how do you know? And he said, well, there's only two of them available at the moment under $150,000. And he said, wow. And he said, was it a petrol or a diesel? And the guy said, I don't know. And we thought, wow, this guy's in plenty of trouble. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. He just bought it because he diesel? thought it was cheap. And yeah. Australian buyers on a flybridge, you know, 38 or 42-foot flybridge generally will go for a shaft-drive diesel. Yeah. This guy had no idea. He just wanted to get on the bandwagon. Yeah. And that was what we were facing. We say, mate, you're not going to sell that boat in Australia. No. And, the, and this is an understanding that you bring with that, bringing boats in from overseas that, you know, but boats in America, a lot of their boating is done on freshwater lakes. Yeah. So stern drives, not an issue. Yeah. But here, completely different story. Absolutely. So, yeah, so, yeah it's, it's, it's really interesting that, when people don't go to a broker of your level of experience, and there are some great brokers in Australia, um, there are some not so good ones, but but you know people like yourself that really do it from the right place. You do it because you want people to enjoy boating and you want people to have that lifestyle. Yeah. Um, I think it's it, it it starts their boating experience from such a better place, and it means we retain them as boaters. Absolutely, and that's what it's about. Yeah, absolutely. I think any yeah. business, if you love what you do, everything else just falls into place, mm. and that's where I, you know, I think that if you focus just on the money, it's upside down. Yeah, you know, the money will come if you focus on the client and the client's needs. Yes. Yeah. So. Yeah. So, so I guess from there we, we, we had a lot of opportunities where we were getting offers of, for new brands, people approaching us in Australia and also overseas. And we thought, you know, I thought, well, this secondhand stuff is working. Yep. People are, are enjoying it. And after a while we thought, okay, we'll give it a go. We took on a couple of new brands. I don't know if it was the timing of just what was happening in the world. They didn't go as well as we were anticipating. Uh, we put a lot of time and effort into them, um, which I guess is is business. Yeah. Um, that included New Marine? Correct, yeah. Yeah. Look, now, great you know, boat. I still think it's a great boat. Love the boat. Beautiful love boat. the product. Yeah. Love the engineering. Yeah. Love everything about it. But we just struggled with it in Australia. And I think, you know what, um, I have a video of your New Marine that is very popular on Instagram. It's just that boat literally doing a 360 on the yep. water. And because it is such an unusual shape, on Instagram it gets a whole heap of attention. 
But Australians are really, in their voting terms, they're, they're quite conservative. That's where I went wrong, I think. Yeah, they're, they're quite sort of, well, a boat should look like this, and they didn't. So it was like, um, and I think today perhaps they'd be more exactly. open to it because there's a exactly. whole new bunch of people that have come into boating and also because there's a younger market that's coming into boating because of COVID. Exactly. Yeah. Um, I think you'd get more traction with that brand now. Look, I, but, think, I, I agree with you. I think yeah. they were ahead of their times. Yes. And I could see the future with it because I love the shape. I loved it. But, you and know, they do when, exceptionally well in Europe. They, they certainly you know, do. But, yeah. you know, people were saying to me afterwards, they were saying it didn't sell because it was ugly. And I said, well, it wasn't. And if you look at the trends ass. now, look at current Sunseekers. Yeah. They look similar to what we were doing, you know, 10 years ago. So I guess it was timing and that's really important. Yeah. Um, and the other one was a trawler which we had, which was Defever, which were more supply issues where um, the shipyard was not was 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 contemplating whether they should proceed and build another shipyard to abide by EPA laws or shouldn't they? And and we just happened to be there amongst all that. So in saying that, COVID hit, and both of those boats sold really quickly. Yes, and that was great because one of them's gone to a syndication mob where there are five open uh, uh, five owners. And I, tr- I see that boat out every time I'm in the harbour, so it's actually getting used and enjoyed, which is what Love you want to see. Yeah. And the other one was a trawler, which, um, you know, there's a couple of them around and they're more designed for long range. So we had to make a decision once COVID hit um, what to do. So we surrendered two brands, which were those two. Yeah. And Just we- before we go yes, any further sorry. on that, that, that new marine, is with Boating Syndication Australia, Correct, right? yeah, yeah. Andy, so, BSA. Yeah, so um, if you love that boat on my Instagram, um, there's a way of owning that boat without owning the whole boat because um, yeah. I don't know if he's got any shares left in it, but I know, no, he, I know Andy continuously changes his share and he's got so many boats now that he just transfers one to the other and so on and so forth um, for clients. Again, it seems um, to be a real trend. And, again, oh, we yeah. tried to do that and we couldn't do that. Yes. You know, and, and I look at how Andy does it and does it so successfully. Yeah. I look at how Pacific Boating do it and they do it. It's a different business model but they do it so well. Yeah, and I think those guys have both got volume now. I think Absolutely. that's why they're and doing it. off to them yeah. because they're yeah. bringing people into the industry. Absolutely. And they're Absolutely. doing what they're doing all the right training, yep. which a lot of people didn't do, which means it becomes a family decision. Yes. But it also allows a whole bunch of people coming coming to it. Yeah, they haven't got $2 million to spend on a boat, but they might have a couple of hundred thousand. Exactly. And they're in a boat that's potentially worth a million dollars for a couple of hundred thousand or, or whatever it is that, that because it's 10th share, 8th share, 5th share, 6th share, whatever it is. Um, and with Phil's model with Pacific Boating, it's a club membership. So they've got boats available to them. Oh, my God, how good looking are his boats? I mean, they're, they're know, 2007, 2006 boats and they still look amazing because yeah. he looks after them so well. Um, so both of those guys work so hard and they bring, I kind of think of boat club and boat share as a nursery for boat owners to get to know boating and then they come to buy a boat of their own at some stage. And we would often refer people to them. Yeah. Because people were in two minds or, you know, they they, you know, financially they they weren't really aware of the costs of owning a boat. 
And we would refer people to them that would go there. Some have stayed there and grown and loved it. Yeah. Some have done it for a year and come back and said, fantastic, let's do it. Some have said, you know what, what a waste of money that was. I've never used it because the key is use the boat. Yeah. And when we when I see people, I often ask them, you know, are you um, in a position to really use this boat or are you just relying on a Sunday and hoping that every Sunday is a sunny day with no wind. Yes. <laughs> and then I forget the answer. Look, I work for myself and I can take Tuesdays off or if it's a beautiful day I can spend time on the boat and I can work from the boat, which seems to be a trend. So that's really important that the boat gets used because there's nothing sadder than seeing a boat sitting there yeah. deteriorating. Yeah, totally but, agree. Um, yeah. Yeah. So something you mentioned there, the trend of using boats as an office space, I mean, they are a sensational Absolutely. office space. So have you seen that happening with More the whole so remote working and so Especially on? since COVID. It was happening before that, but we were finding that so many boat owners would even use their boat on the marina. It wouldn't leave the marina, as you probably see as well. Yeah. Uh, and they'd have business lunches on the marina. They'd have it catered for. It's quite a good experience for someone who's not who doesn't understand boating. Yeah. To bring them on board, have a beautiful meal brought to you, which most marinas, the restaurants will do that and the cafes. So they would use it there. And then they'd have meetings on board. You'd often see someone sitting on the back with a laptop and just working their way through their day. And yeah. Great way to do it. Yeah. I heard a story about uh um I was from a friend of a friend of a friend, you know, one of those stories. Um, about a guy who had a lawyer, lawyer's practice who was renting seven or eight floors in the city and then COVID hit and, of course, none of the staff were in the offices and his lease came up and he sort of went, well, I don't need seven or eight floors now. I'll just take one for the meeting rooms and for when the staff come in and I'm going to buy a damn good boat and that's going to be my office. Yep. And that's what he did. And um, I think it's... Um, I think boats have, I mean, perfect example, all the super yachts that are out there now that that um, people sort of retreated to as their safe space during COVID, you know? Um, yeah, yeah. So absolutely. We've been very lucky in the regard that um, COVID has been an awful situation, but it has kind of highlighted the boating lifestyle to people, which is amazing for our industry. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, so you've done those two brands. Did the two brands. We had to make a decision mm -hmm. moving forward, um, which I think we made a really good decision. And I don't really take credit for it. I, I think with boating, <laughs> it's hard. I see a lot of experienced people in the industry make wrong decisions. Yes. And we can't all. And, and I think we, um, we decided to take on um, as a as a. a Australian office, Cantiere delle Marche, which is an Italian expedition long-range vessel. Let's just, just, let's just say that again. Cantiere delle Marche. Cantiere delle Marche. Delle Marche. It's Cantiere so beautiful, isn't it? shipyard. Yes. Marche is the region in Italy. Yes. And it's shipyard within that region. There you go. So Cantiere delle Marche, but we just say CDM. <laughs> it's... <laughs> Because Australians just couldn't handle the cantieri de la marca. Well, they do. They do. <laughs> look, they, look, and, and it, it's, a, it's a beautiful boat which is ranging from 30 to 50 metres. That's our sweet spot. Yeah. We don't um, – it's a company that was established 12 years ago. Oh, is that that young? Okay. Yeah. It gives me the impression it's a much older it family does. business. 
Look, yeah. they really took on the world and started selling boats immediately. There was a, there was a real, it's a real niche. Yeah. Um, the founder, um, Enyo, who was, his family was building ships, um, oil rigs, gas liners for two generations. And then the other partner, which is Vasco Bonpensiere, he uh, was working for CRN as their sales and marketing manager, looking after the Ferretti brands, et cetera. Yeah. And he had a client who wanted a boat that could truly do long trips in comfort and economically. So he approached Daniel and said, why don't we do this? And they, they built their first Darwin class, which is actually, it was actually quite ugly. But they sold. I Why did they call it Darwin? Because it's the Darwin evolutionary. Class is evolutionary explorer. Okay. Not because it's the best, really cool place to go boating in Australia. Nothing no. to do with Australian <laughs> Darwin. These guys are initially in Uncord, are they? They'd probably never heard of Darwin until we've recently sold boats to Australians who want to go there with them. Yeah. So um, anyway, we we this is a boat that is um, maximum four hundred ninety nine GT, which seems to be what people are wanting, and that's our specialty. No one else does it that way, and you know we've um, we've it's a real privilege actually working with them and for them. And it seems to be that um, I guess since COVID, a lot of Australians who had bigger boats in the Mediterranean bought them back home so that they could at least use them here. And I think doing trips up and down the east coast found that these boats were not really designed for it. Mm-hmm. So we're now in a in a situation where people are coming to us looking at new builds and and we already have new builds in construction for Australia where they're truly going to be designed for the Australian market to be used here. So proper steel boats with alloy superstructures that can run up and down the east coast of Australia with six, seven, eight thousand nautical mile range. Without using $50,000 worth of fuel. Spot on, spot on. We're, we're running at 60 litres combined per hour at eight and a half to nine and a half knots, wow. which is great. Yeah. And people that have bought our boats are people that have quite educated boaties. They're guys that have um, and, and girls that have had boats, family boats that have, you know, 70 metre fed ships and 50 metre heesons and things like that, but they've bought a specific CDM for a purpose so that they can use it as their diving boat. And that boat will continuously travel the world and owners will meet it at different destinations. So that was a really that was a really good a really good choice and that's proven to be successful. And we're now in our third year with CDM and that's um that's exciting. The other one is Grand Ocean, which is a partnership we formed with a Hong Kong based bump, um, company building power catamarans. That's interesting. That's two trends that mm. are really exploding at the moment, explorers and cats. They both seem to be, since COVID, um, they both seem to be an area. So when you talked about timing earlier, yeah. you've got your timing right this time. Yeah, but I also, like I don't take credit, like I said before, <laughs> one the Power Catamarans was Sydney Boat Show 2019, I think, just pre-COVID. Yeah. We had a client come on one of our boats and um, he said, I really love that catamaran over there. And every day we'd go through our list of people and look at who they were, what we spoke about. If we don't have what they want, what can we match them up with or who can we refer them to? And Mark, I'd bring him back into the, the topic again, Mark Hutchinson. He said, there's actually this company I've been following that builds commercial cats. Why don't we see if we can build them a, a cat? And that's exactly what happened. 
We go. started the process with them. We said, what is your ideal cat? And we started our W series, which is a 55. And now we've dub- delivered our first two into the US. They're on the ship at the moment, um, coming off on the 8th of Feb in Fort Lauderdale. So how does that come about? You're you're delivering boats to the US. I know Riviera well, are doing a great job getting got the so many boats market. into US at the moment too. So how, how does that happen? We've got the global market. That was the arrangement we made with this company. Our global market except for um, Hong Kong and Singapore, they're doing that direct from the shipyard. And the inquiry is just coming from the US. We've got eight boats in build at the moment. One of them's coming to Australia. The other seven are um, Florida, um, one Canada, one Hawaii. Eight boats. Yeah, eight build at the moment. Yeah, which is fantastic. It's great. It's great. Great product. We've again. We've sort of gone towards what can we do different. What what do we feel the market needs that's not available, and we've gone with a boat that we've designed with the greatest bridge deck clearance of any other catamaran, which is. I guess the space between the the centre of the boat and the water on a 55-footer, we've got just over a metre, which means now that boat, if you take the option of the 6,000-litre fuel tanks, one, it's got range, and two, it's got the ability to cross cross, um, big seas. And it hasn't got that slap going on underneath, that's which, right. which, yeah. which catamarans are renowned for. So that's something yeah. that that's the point of difference there that we've really chosen. And again, quality is a key issue for us. So the boats are built in Zhuhai in China, but the the labour is 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 really what we're using there. The the fiberglass comes from Australia. They use Cummins engines, coal art generators. Um, you know, a lot of the components come from the US. A lot of the hardware for the furniture. Uh, the leather we use is all Italian. So we've added that that to it. We, yeah. myself and Mark, inspected the shipyard to the extent that we've said we want every Phillips head screw on this boat facing north, south, east, west. Wow. So to that extent, everything else above that should be perfect. Yeah. So and that's what we're doing. And um, unfortunately, with COVID, we weren't able to get there through the construction process. Yeah. But with um, technology these days, it's it's made it quite easy. We've had to pay surveyors a little more than we normally would, but mm-hmm. we've got through to the end and produced a beautiful product. Fantastic. Yeah. And then going back to the, the CDM product that you work with, um, I've noticed their interiors are very, very different to others. How did that come about? Well, that was the key, that we wanted to have a boat that could do the trips yet have the luxury Italian interior. Where it came about is, first of all, using the, the right architects and um, Francesco Pazzoski. I love his fantastic one. name. He is, he is magnificent. He does a lot of the work for Benetti. Um, he, um, he and another guy which we've recently used, Simone Hamure, who's a Mexican artist. Hamore. Yeah, yeah, absolutely stunning interiors. And then, again, I guess the quality finish and the durability. I mean, first of all, you're starting with a steel construction yep. on a hull, which is eight millimeter, um, 12 millimetres thick at entry, Yes, which for, for certification, six millimetres is sufficient. Wow. But we double that. Yeah. So you've got a, then you've got a, an alloy superstructure. So you've got a really good platform to start with. So you're not going to get floors that are going to, that are going to bow or there's going to be any movement whatsoever. So once you've got that, you can start with the quality products on top and and, and internally. 
And with all of our interiors that are designed, we also use Norta Air who are based in Rome. Yep. All of our interiors, once we've agreed on colour palettes and material choices, the shipyard will do a mock-up of a room with those materials. So a full scale which arrives to us flat-packed that we can construct and send to the client and show them exactly what that lounge, a quarter the quarter of that lounge is going to look and feel like. Oh, wow. What the window frames. And that was a COVID, um, I guess, inspired necessity yeah. because people were saying, well, we can't come to the factory. And we said, well, that shouldn't stop you making a decision because this is what we're going to do. Yeah. We're going to send you out the componentries, apart from, you know, the usual bit of stone for a bench top and what have you, yeah. they're actually sent you the corner of a room. That's amazing. Yeah, so it's a really idea. cool way to do it. So yeah. quality is paramount and sound deadening is paramount and that's where um, that's where I think we have the edge. Yeah. Um, the construction, the boat, the, the, the build and the design of the boat starts in the engine room. Yeah. So all of our boats, actually you can stand underneath the engines. Really? So you can service, these boats are designed to just continuously run. You can service these boats, run them on one motor, service the other motor while they're continuously moving. Wow. Um, you know, that's that's a that's a, a key, key objective. So we start with the engineering, then we work around that. The lazarette is a, after the boat where we've, where all the boats are used for diving. I was privileged enough to work on a boat called Akala, which was in Monaco this year, a 43-metre, 499-gross-ton vessel. That was a boat that was a second-time CDN owner, super experienced, yeah. and he built that boat purely for diving. Nitrox uh, compressors for his tanks, just everything you can imagine, wet area for hanging wetsuits, um, you know, commercial laundromat within the crew quarters, really built a boat. And this guy here, he also built the boat with all of his main cabins on the main deck. He didn't have his cabin as a full beam master on the upper deck as a lot of owners do. He wanted to be with his friends. Yes. And his master cabin was just exactly like the cabin to the other side, you know, of the vessel. It was that. just and I guess that's the beauty of working with a brand like CDM. You can completely customise as Correct, much yeah. as Correct. you want to, as you can with lots of boat brands these days. But, but yeah, that's uh, at the moment with eight boats in build, two of them are one-offs. So yeah. someone will come to us with plans and say, "Can you build this for us?" And they'll take it to other shipyards. And that's what also we do. A Carla started off as a one-off, but due to popular demand, we've now introduced a forty meter with four hundred and twenty gross ton, which is a a cheaper, a more affordable boat, and that's where the market is. And um, that that was super popular in Monaco, yeah. And since taken orders for that, so yeah. So you're going to Monaco this year? Certainly, I'm doing Cannes and Monaco this year, and can't wait. Yay! Gonna, my mate's going to be there. Yay! Because yeah, I'm going to go this year too. What we missed you last year? I didn't do Cannes. Yeah. Um, Domenico that works with me did Cannes, and I did Monaco. And I've never, ever worked Monaco Boat Show. I've been there with clients over the years but never worked a stand. It was the most amazing experience and especially on the boat that everyone wanted to go on. Yeah. And as you know, Monaco, everyone's pre-qualified, their appointments and 
we were, because I was also there and I didn't have all the appointments that the CEO and the founder and the president had yes. with ongoing, you know, previous clients, we were just taking as many people as we could through the boat. Other brokers were bringing them. So we were just, I was, um, yeah, I was run off my feet, but what an experience. That's an interesting because... I've always noticed that about you at Boat Show because Monaco is known for it being difficult to get onto the boats because you yeah. have to be pre-qualified and so on and so forth. And you've taken a slightly different approach with that. Absolutely. And because you can never judge a book by its cover. Absolutely. Plenty of people can pre-qualify that aren't actually qualified. It's so important. Um, and um, I noticed you do that at Sydney Boat Show as well. You let anyone onto your boat. You did not judge a book by a cover. You'd say you had this multi-million dollar boat on show and you would let everybody on board to have a look at her. We did and that was fun because, you know, some people would just tell you straight out, look, we would never afford a boat like this. Mm. We'd love to come on board. You know, they had three kids and and we'd just say, look, no problem. The rules are don't eat on board and, you know, leave your handbag behind so we, you don't run risk of scratching anything but love to show you through. Yeah. And you know what? Um regardless of whether they ever buy a boat, what an experience it was for them. Well, exactly. But also that, you know, 12, 14-year-old kid that gets on that boat yeah, then might look around and go, I want one of these when I'm grown up. Yeah, absolutely. I'm going to work harder at school to get that. So we, you, could, you could be making a difference to somebody's life just by letting them on that boat. Yeah. You know? We had clients. We had clients, Nikki, that we knew very well and I still deal with them now and they were very capable of buying any boat at the show over and over again. Yeah. And they weren't allowed on certain boats. Some yes. people would say, I'm sorry, you don't have an appointment, you can't come on board. Yes. And I'd think, big mistake. Yeah. Big mistake. This guy. Pretty woman line right there. Big mistake. Big mistake. You work on commission, right? Big mistake. Absolutely. Huge. And I mean it. Yeah. I'm getting goosebumps telling you it's so yeah. true. Yeah. And and I guess it's, look, in sales people will teach you that. Yeah. But I think in humanity it should be something we're just aware of. Yeah. I mean, really. Yeah. They always I mean, you've, you've always been a very um, open book and you've always been very, um, uh, I guess you're, you are a true relationships man. You build, build relationships with people because – those people that got on that boat that couldn't afford the $2 million boat, they probably could afford a $300,000 boat and they go to you, what can I get for $300,000? And then you sell them one of your brokerage boats. But in, Yeah, absolutely. You know? And that's yeah. where the relationship starts. But even in conversation with people like that, you just ask them questions about what they do, what they love. And one guy I remember, he said to me, oh, I own a particular crane company, which I was aware of. Mm. And I know... He could sell one of those cranes and buy two of these boats. Yes. But ultimately, he's a businessman yeah. and his crane's making money. Yeah. And at this stage of his life, humbly, he's just said, look, I couldn't afford a boat like this, but can we please look on board? Absolutely. Yeah. That's what it's about, isn't it? Humbly. That's another word that I associate with you. Um, You're very kind. Well. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. But I do. You, you know how some salespeople can get, even though they personally can't afford the multi-million dollar boat they're on, for some reason they get this arrogance towards the people coming on the boat that they are 
better than that person because they're, I don't know, not wearing the right shoes or whatever yeah. it is. Talking of which, you noticed my shoes on the way in, didn't you? I did. You're I such them. a shoes man. I love them. Um, and so, and he said, what, what are those shoes? What are those? That's what the Louboutins, aren't they? And he Absolutely. Said, he said, I knew it. I knew it. But anyway. I've had the um, right training, as you know. <laughs> Um, and and what, that's another thing. So you notice things about women and you treat women um, in a way that they will um, warm to when they're looking at a boat, right? Absolutely. Um, but, yeah, I digress then. Where we, but what we were talking about, we were talking about. Um, I guess the importance of women in the industry and, yeah. and it, it's a family decision. Yeah. And, and you know where it started? Going back in the 80s, when when old mate wanted to buy his fishing boat, he'd go down to Cronulla and have a look at a Bertram or a Caribbean. Yeah. He'd go with a couple of mates on a Saturday morning. They'd go down there. They'd look at what they were going to – they'd look at a boat. And then Riviera came into play and they had an idea. Let's make the insides a little bit nicer so people, families, women, husbands would feel more at home. And that was the success and the start of Riviera yeah. and then Maritimo. And then that that was just they made the boat appealing to husband and wife. Yes. Who ultimately are both the decision makers. And I say that because boating, buying a boat is not like buying a Ferrari that only whoever's bought it's going to enjoy it. Yeah. It's something that the family, the kids, their friends, the neighbours can enjoy and that's the beauty of it. Yeah. Amazing, so yeah. The importance, and the, yeah. The, 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 I've always noticed that you, um, you treat the men and the women coming on the boat the same way. You don't um, just talk to the guy; you talk to the girl as well, because you know important. she's Couldn't, super absolutely. involved in that process of that buying decision. Absolutely, yeah. super important. Yeah, yeah, in, yeah, absolutely. And um, it's, I think that's perhaps where. Oh, we were talking about arrogance. That's right. That that's somewhere sometimes where the arrogance comes in. Um, that a broker complete completely dismiss and disregard a woman, um, and she might be the one with the money, especially these days. It actually, is in, in many cases. Yeah, she she's she's often the one. Um, if she's if she hasn't got if she hasn't made the money and she's the one with the money, she's the one that's saying. I don't want to spend that on that. I want to buy that instead, you know, because she wants the Aston instead of the sports cruiser. You know, there's yeah, absolutely um, there's a lot of that that, and I think um, even to this day, I I get when I go to boat show, I don't sometimes get the attention I should. I could buy yeah whatever I felt like, but I don't necessarily get that vibe yeah. from brokers at boat shows sometimes because I'm female. It's incredible, really. Um, it's sad, actually. Yeah. It's really sad. Yeah. But, you know, it does happen. Yeah. And unfortunately, um, yeah, it does happen. Yeah. Yeah. So we need to kind of, and that's part of this podcast is trying to change that mindset, guys. Listen up. The girls girls can do the buying these days, you know. So um, talking like, of women. Like my big fat Greek wedding. Yes. <laughs> where he was the head of the family, but she was the neck. Yes. She controls the head. Exactly. <laughs> That's it's exactly thing. right. And it, it's it, in, a, in relationships, it's, it's incredibly dominant, actually, you know, especially Australian women. Australian women are strong women. 
and they they you know they they were yeah, Italian women. <laughs> yeah, I know, even stronger, and strong and loud, even stronger, and aggressive. Yeah, not my wife by no means. No, she's beautiful. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> but um, so going on women there, um, women are coming into the boating industry now, um, and. What do you think of their bringing to the table? What do you think is changing because of that? Look, what I think is happening, um, and I'm hearing this more so, is Aussie boaters, regardless of size of boat, they want to be able to run the boat with husband and wife team. And I've done that for years with my wife. And a perfect example is there's that boat directly out there that we're looking at, which was a 27-metre Filippetti, yep. which is Peter, my neighbour, he always wanted to run that with just himself and his wife, and he can do it. Yeah. So what? back to the question, what are bring, women are bringing to the table, I guess more practical boating, they're bringing a lot of input that the guy doesn't really see, and that's not just in boating, that's just in if you were to build a house, for example. My wife would see things that I wouldn't see. She would understand things that I wouldn't understand because... Um, I guess we, we dress differently. We, we have different ideas of, you know, how, how things will work. And that's, I think they're bringing a broader variety. Like we're building a boat at the moment, a catamaran for an Australian couple. And where, where, um, where she is bringing a lot into it for us is saying, I don't like where the light switches are. Mm-hmm. And we said, I thought to myself, why? They're in, that's where they are on all of our boats. And she said, well, I don't want to be in the galley and have to walk across to there to turn the lights on in the galley. Fair and cool. it makes a lot of sense. Mm. Absolutely makes a lot of sense. Mm. And that's something that would have crossed our mind. Yeah. A simple thing like that. It's, it's, a, it's a catamaran. It's, it's, it's still just lean over and put the switch on. But why should you? If you don't have to, you could have wet hands. You could be, you could be holding something wet. You don't want to walk across with it. So that's just a simple, a simple way of looking at it, you know. Um, things, you know, where, for ex- obviously, the, I think generally speaking, I speak for myself and my wife, she's got a far better eye for, for colour palettes and, and, and understanding that. You know, I can look at products and say, I think that's a, a better oven because I've done my reviews. But she can say, well, it's not big enough. Yeah. Or we need a separate oven or we need a steamer. And that's where I understand now because I've used those things. But if I hadn't before, so. Yeah. Women. And I think that's what, because um, there are some more women coming into brokerage of boats. Yeah. And we bring a different, um, a different spin to it because we, um, I'm not in brokerage of boats now, but um, when I was, I would f- actually focus on the woman coming onto the boat um, and I would read her, which I think women do a little bit more. Some some men are good at it, but some women will read. I, I read her and said, oh, she really doesn't like this boat just by her body language. Yep. And I'd say, we're not going to look at this boat anymore because she doesn't like it. And he'd go, oh, oh, but, but. And she'd say, oh, thank you so much for saying that. Yeah, yeah absolutely. <laughs> and then we'd go and look after uh, at another boat because she, I knew that we were just going to waste our time looking at that boat. Um, but also um, I think you like we say, we look at a boat differently. 
we look at it for its perhaps its sound performance. Is it really noisy when it's going along or am I going to be able to hold a conversation with my girlfriend? Um, where am I going to put the seafood platter? Spot on. You know, as Spot opposed on. to, yep. as opposed to um, you know, so when I get on a boat that's only draw fridges, I'm immediately disappointed. I, I want a, high, a full height fridge on it, yep. you know. Um, there's things like is, is the bed easy to make or is it really hard to get around to, to tuck things in and all that sort of thing. Where on earth am I going to put the linen? You know, all, all those sorts of things That's right. that we look at a boat completely different and the brokerage girls out there um, are sort of pointing those out to people um, in a different way. It's, it's fascinating to see. It is. Look, we're, yeah. we're in the process, which is really exciting, of designing a specific, a specific CDM for Australian conditions. Now, women in Europe may look at a boat differently to women in Australia because our boating is different. Yeah. And one of the issues is refrigeration. Yes. No European boat has enough refrigeration. No. <laughs> and, it's, and they don't understand how, you know, Three guys can go through four cases of beer in an afternoon. Exactly. Every, They're in every, shock. Every four-cabin boat I get on, I say, well, that's the butler's pantry. I'm yeah. not taking that as a fourth cabin. <laughs> that's right. So the beauty of, you know, we're designing this boat for Australian conditions and the research that I've done is with boat owners, husband and wife teams, and getting a lot of feedback. I'd love to show you the notes I've got on that. Yeah feedback from what they want out of a boat and these are experienced boaties so the things that we're looking at one of them is obviously refrigeration absolutely the other one is double door fridges which stand and open so big platters can go in there fantastic the other thing is open, with a lip that stops it falling off as well absolutely yeah open cockpits with possibly fold outsides but we really want to be able to protect aussies from the sun yes because our sun is is so strong compared to us the sun in the med yes so we do need to have undercover areas spas or pools on on big boats undercover yeah because we'll fry if we don't yeah and if at least we don't have that the option of, of of being able to extend whether it be an awning or some sails over so we are protected against the sun obviously hydraulic platforms because we love swimming yeah and we also love standing, not getting our toes nibbled by the sharks. Well, yeah. Well, that's where we come into. Um, <laughs> we recently sold a CDM to a client who's um, going up to the Kimberley. And I spoke to the shipyard and I said, look, he doesn't like the tender we've, we've supplied. Because you can't have an inflatable. That's right. You? He said, why not? It's the best tender in the world. I said, but he's going to the Kimberley and he needs something in alloy so the crocodiles won't eat the sides. Exactly. And he said, oh, Paul, you're so funny. <laughs> I said, I'm not joking. I said, I'll tell you the truth. And they couldn't stop laughing. They thought I was I said, no, that's actually a concern of ours. It really is. So, you know, they're learning as well. Yeah. So Aussies, And the tropical level air conditioning we need here tropical, as opposed to, Absolutely. You know? Like Hong Kong, like, um, you know, the Caribbean. We must have tropical air conditioning. Yeah. And especially with the new design of boats with so much glass. Yes. You know, we want we want nice flooring that actually feels good when you're walking barefoot. Yes. And it feel warm and comfortable. Yeah. And not thinking you're going to slip. 
There are all these things, but Aussies understand their boating. Now Aussies are starting to understand toys more, which is a great thing. So boats have to be designed with lazarettes or areas where you can st- you know, where you can store slides and canoes and bikes. We're putting bike lockers in all of our catamarans. How cool is at, that? And the, at the hull with charging points because everyone's using e-bikes. Oh, I love that. That's that was a that was a request from our Australian client. So we've done that with every single boat. Yeah, bike lockers that have have a lid that actually you can fit a bike in. Beauty of it. So that's they're little things that we're listening to people. And this was actually her again, another one of her great ideas. Um, so. I think I think women bring incredible ideas to design on boats. Absolutely. Yeah, there's some some real design elements I've seen appear in a number of motor yachts recently, which I know started from one woman wanting wanting it in her boat. Shoe lockers. Yeah. I mean, really? Yeah. I know, shoe lockers. It's such a simple thing. Such a simple thing, but where would you put your Labatons if you were to walk on a boat and spend the day on it? You want to know they're somewhere safe and warm. Yeah, and not and not going to fly out the back when when they take off at speed and oh, there go my Louboutins. You know, oh. um, <laughs> you know, it's so important on on in Australian conditions to be able to have safety rails throughout the boat. Yes, and at some boat, a lot of boats don't have that. Yeah, and if you do a, a, a an ocean crossing or you even run a boat down the east coast of Australia, and I've done that. And I had nowhere to hold on to yeah. unless you're steering the boat and you're at the helm and you can firmly plant your feet down and hang onto that steering wheel. There was nowhere for a passenger to, to be. If they sat down, they'd get thrown around and there was nowhere to hang on to. Yeah. And that's so important. So important. So explain that to our listeners because I guess if they're not Australian, they don't really understand the difference between our ocean our waters. trips. The Mediterranean is traditionally a calm ocean in the summer months it can get quite aggressive in the winter but they don't they don't boat in the winter but our australian east coast has that short sharp chop mm. that is quite renowned especially in the wit sundays and areas like that so that that sharp chop can be a, a meter and a half two meters depending on the size of the boat that can be quite uncomfortable there's mm. two ways to handle it either you just punch into it at a slow speed and you do get bounced around or you get the boat at a speed where it can, you know, can f- cut in and fly across the top of it. But then, quite specialised in what boat you've got. Mm. So the average, the average um, sports cruiser, thirty to forty feet, would really struggle in those conditions. Whereas if you had a a boat like a Grady White Centre Console, you know, in a thirty to forty foot, it would be at home in those conditions because that was what it was designed for. Yeah, and it would sit on your 25, 30 knots comfortably where you you wouldn't have to hang on for dear life yeah but i say to the people with the 30 40 foot um sports crews are not to go out in those conditions if they can avoid it yeah yeah always check the weather absolutely yeah and you've seen that that you've seen that you know meter swell in the harbor you know that washing machine type scenario just at the heads there yeah yeah and um that your but your CDM boats are obviously travelling at a slower speed. They are. So do they have um, stabilizers, gyros? How do they, they do. handle they're, that? They're they're a full displacement vessel, mm-hmm. which means a full displacement hull, which is travelling at generally anywhere between eight and ten and a half knots, which is a comfortable economical speed. 
uh, many of them have the option of really getting up to 14 knots if you were to, to get out of trouble. Um, what was the question? Stabilizers. Stabilizers. Okay, we don't use gyros on any of our boats because they're steel okay. and they're too heavy and they're too big. So we do use fin stabilizers and they're either a zero speed or a Mitsubishi. And the beauty of the fin stabilizers these days is not only do they work whilst the boat's in motion, you imagine two fins coming out of the bottom of the boat and if a wave is coming side on, it will counteract that wave by automatically flicking up. Okay. So that if you're in the boat, you don't get that that roll that you would yes. necessarily feel. Which and you that, didn't used to get with fin stabilizers. They, they used to be just effective right. when you're moving, didn't that's they? That's right. But now yeah. they're all computer designed. But we go another level where we also have rudder control, which is also stabilized, part of the stabilizers. So our rudder controls, you could be at the helm station holding that boat dead straight yeah. or on autopilot going in a particular direction. But as that boat hits, gets a side wave, you do get a bit of twist, you get the side stabiliser and, and most of them have two on each side counteracting that. And then you also additionally, you will get the rudders turning to bring the boat in that position. This is quite unique and it's something you'd see in 50 metre plus boats. We do that on our whole range from, from 30 metres up. Wow. Nice. So that means it's comfortable. Yeah. That means if you are doing that trip, you're doing it comfortably. So it means that everyone can do the trip. You're not just sending captain and crew to get the boat to a destination. You can actually do legs of the trip and enjoy it because you're not getting seasick. You're not um you're not getting thrown around. Yeah. Great. Yeah. And um can I share with the the listeners a little trick you taught me about stabilization? Um, out on the New Marine one day. We are in the choppy harbour and the harbour, Sydney harbour gets choppy because there's so many ferries, there's so many water traffic on it um, and then it is an open harbour so that there is, you know, swell coming in as well. Um, and you took us out on the New Marine de- one day and you put the hydraulic platform Yeah, that's a great option. to a certain level because obviously that's only a, a 60-foot boat so it's not going to have stabilisers and that kind of stuff. And you put the hydraulic platform down into the water and that stopped us rocking around quite a bit. Absolutely. Yeah. That's in turn with a bridle on your anchoring as well. Yeah. That gives you every chance without, um, yeah, without having to spend money on, on gyros. Yeah. But, yeah, great, great way to do it. Yeah. Great way. And then let's face it, when your boat is, is at anchor and, and you're having lunch and swimming, that's sort of where you want the hydraulic platform to be anyway because you're easy on and off. Exactly. Yeah. Another good tip with with a lot of boats of that size, people are um, people are often wanting tender garages, which I don't know if you've ever had one. They can be sometimes difficult to get tenders in and out, and yes. it can be quite a process. Yeah, I'm just a firm believer if you've got a sixty or eighty foot boat, to be able to put your tender on a hydraulic platform. Yeah, the way they operate is remote control. You can be approaching the boat on a four or five meter tender or. And, and approach the, drop the platform remotely, drive straight onto your chocks and raise your platform safely. You're on and off the boat. It yeah. just makes a Don't lot of sense. Don't even get wet. Don't even get wet. And again, <laughs> and again, you know, once the boat is off the platform and you're just enjoying it, yeah. you just pull the chocks out because they fit safely there and there's no trip hazard. Yeah. It's just so much smarter and 
people don't often do that. No, I'm with you on hydraulic platforms. I love them. Yeah. And I think once you've had a boat that has one, it's very hard to go back. Isn't Absolutely. It? Yeah. See, with the CDM, we don't do hydraulic platforms because the the, the platform is is in steel and it's part of the hutch the structure. It's a vital part of the dynamics of the vessel. Yep. Um, in big seas. So what we do, it's an Opac Mar, which is an Italian company, Opac Mare. They do a, it's called a um, a transformer. So what it is, it's a section cut out within the steel platform. Yeah. And it's roughly a metre and a half by a metre and a half. And that there sits flush on your platform. It just looks like part of the platform and it's got the teak deck on it. Yeah. And what that actually does is via remote, they have up to about 1,200 kg capacity. They lift up and then they fold back and then they go down into the water. Oh, my God. And it is just stunning. And it's just it's such a clever system. So as they lift up, they automatically will go out because of the framework. But there are steps on it. So you can step up, use it as a diving platform. Oh, I love that. And then when it goes in the water, it goes level. So you walk straight out and then you go in the water. And those steps now convert to steps that walk down to the platform beautiful especially it's just such a comfort yeah and another thing with it you know we had some clients that had a um a family member in a wheelchair yeah so being able to access the boat with that being able to use and enjoy the boat with that just brought it to another level oh that's fantastic yeah yeah oh see boat technology is changing all the time isn't it bringing those elements into the design it makes it so exciting and so more so much more accessible to so many people. It is. It is. It yeah. is. And it's, it is it is exciting because technology has played a big part as well. Yeah. So, and we embrace that in boating. Yeah. Um, so. so tell me about the differences between owning a steel hull versus a fiberglass hull. Well, first of all, the steel, first of all, the weight and the, constr- the strength of it. Um, if, you, if you're going to be using a, a boat, for example, in ice, or, or if you're using a boat for trips in big seas. Sadly, containers do fall off boats and they tend to float half a metre to a metre under the water and you never see them. Yeah. Hitting it with a fibreglass boat will generally sink the boat. So if you are using a boat for big trips, obviously the better option is steel because it's a far safer and it's a um, far more comfortable option. The other other thing, when you're fully customising a boat with a steel hull, you can say to us, I want those windows bigger. I want those windows recessed. I want those business windows lower. You can actually do that in the construction process. Okay. And that makes it a more customisable boat. Because it's not part of the strength it's, of the structure. Because well, in a fiberglass boat, the windows are part of the strength of the exactly. structure, aren't they? But yeah. yeah, but not only that, the fiberglass boat comes from a mould. Yes. So that boat has come out of the mould the way it was originally designed and that's something that is not easily changed because that affects the whole structure like you just said. Yeah, yeah, and retooling that, yeah, redoing that mould is such an expensive process for them. It is, it is. So, you know, you get one chance to do it right and they generally get it right. Mm. But steel boats are designed to do big trips and they're explorer vessels. You know, the steel... Um, is for the hull, so it's got the weight, it's got the lower centre of gravity. We also have a keel on all of our boats, and the beauty of that keel is it runs all the way from the um, engine room 
all the way to the crew quarters. So that in itself has given the crew another opportunity to attend the engine room or if in the event of an emergency in big seas and they're asleep. They don't have to go up two levels, run up the side of the boat. And I'm talking six, seven, eight metre seas where the boat is might be getting, you know, hammered. Yeah. So that's another safety thing. But truly the steel, lower centre of gravity, keel, bulbless bow, which is also for performance and safety. And then, just explain to the listeners what a bulbous bow bulbous does. Bulbous bow, what it does, it's, it's like a, a large rounded point on the lower part of the entry of the of the um the of the hull yeah. in the in the bow and the beauty of that is it generally sits below it always sits below the water and it separates water as the boat is traveling in big seas and it allows stability so the bow doesn't rock uh doesn't follow up and down the pattern of the waves it allows them to cut through the waves a lot better now some manufacturers you know some manufacturers who claim to be explorer vessels they actually say do you want to do you want a bulbless bow because it's an option and they'll screw one on it's not designed like that it has to be part of the structure mm-hmm. and it really is only it, it really needs to be in, in steel boats but what we do with the superstructure so we're going back to the steel on the bottom weight lower center of gravity and then the superstructures we do in alloy which allows them less um so less weight up high so it's stability again the superstructure, everyone that hasn't heard it before in this podcast, is that I guess when you're looking at a boat, it's kind of the the living space. The living space from the gunnel yeah. strips up yeah. a lot of the time. The gunnel strips are those protective brown rubber bits around the boat. So the top of the boat and the bottom of the boat. The bottom of the boat's the hull and the top of the boat's a superstructure. And the side of the hull's called the top sides, which is really yeah. confusing. <laughs> So, so that's the fun. And in terms of care, taking care of a steel hull versus fiberglass? A steel hull will be painted all the time. And the paint systems they use these days allow the boats to have between a 10 and 15 year lifespan in paint. So that's quite an expensive upkeep. But if you're buying a you know, 40 or 50 metre steel boat, that's something that's to be taken into consideration. So the boat will be painted. Some fiberglass boats are painted as well mm-hmm. and they can be repainted down the track. Mm-hmm. So the other options with um, fiberglass is just that they have gel coat and that's what the final look is. Yeah. But boats do need painting after 15 years a lot of the time, especially in Australian harsh conditions. So especially it's up if you to did pick a dark colour for your hull. Dark colour as well. And yeah. you know what the other thing I was to, found out recently you know what the hottest color is on a boat the color that retains the most heat the the highest specific heat capacity i'm guessing red spot on yeah oh, how, did you, how did you know that yeah because it's um it absorbs and 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 it, it absorbs the heat more but it also fades horrifically yeah, I mean, you, I you and I, or, you I and I have both owned an, a red alpha in our times, haven't we? And, yeah, and like they never you have to the be garage. so careful with them. You do, they do not come out of the garage. <laughs> no, I know. I hear what you're saying, but I honestly yeah. would have said black or dark blue, but red is spot on. You've, you've, you've yeah. got it. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, again, choice of colour is important. Choice of, um, choice of um, you know. There is a reason boats are white, yeah. isn't there? Yeah. <laughs> you know, capping rails, which is that area around the cockpit where you might sit. Yes. 
You know, we built a boat years ago. It was a trawler, a fiberglass trawler, and the client wanted it done in a dark brown. Some people do it in teak, but he wanted a dark brown. And after a year in Australia, it all started to crack. Yeah. And the reason it cracked is because it was dark brown. It was just retaining the heat. Yes. So the next one we did was in white, and that one there we actually redid in white as well or just off white. Yeah. So little things like that you've got to keep in consideration. Yeah. Well, this has been amazingly interesting, Paul. I've learnt a little bit more about you than I knew before, it's which been is an lovely. Absolute pleasure. <laughs> it's just been like a normal catch-up well, when you come over, except for the microphone, hasn't it? <laughs> yeah. Talk which boats, really nice. talk boats, and what we love. Yeah, talk boats, talk boats. Oh, absolutely. we're talking boats again. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> But, um, no, I really enjoy your company. I really enjoy what you're doing. I love that the, the, the you come from the right place in everything that you do. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. You've been really yeah. kind. And, yeah, look, I, I, I've really enjoyed today and, and I love you guys. Every time we catch up boating or socially, we always have fun. Yeah. And, um, yeah, thanks for the opportunity. No worries. So just tell the listeners where they can find you, your website and so on. Q7 Marine is our brokerage. We specialise there in locating boats overseas for clients and going through the process of having them serviced, surveyed, relocated to Australia or any other parts of the world. And that's um, we're based at Sydney Superyacht Marina. From that office, we also share Grand Ocean and CDM. So if you're looking for anything boating, whether you're going to buy off us or not, just want some advice, please don't hesitate to call myself directly or email the office info at q7marine.com.au or myself, happy to give you my phone number, 0418 Any questions, dumb questions, doesn't matter. There's no such thing in boating. Exactly right. When nobody ever knows everything about a boat so that's right. yeah so um and there you go see i told you he always comes from the right space absolutely he's just said just call me if you need advice anything and anything that, that is awesome that is that is our paul maletta we thank love him you. dearly thank you Nikki. so that's uh q, q letter q number seven marine.com.au absolutely yeah fantastic Thanks, Paul. Thank Lovely you. to have you here. I hope you enjoyed that, guys. Um, he is an awesome guy and it was great chatting with him and we will see you. And overseas boat shows. Oh, if yes. If you're thinking of attending overseas boat shows, we do Cannes, we do Monaco, we do Fort Lauderdale. We'll also be doing Miami, Ooh. which is in February. It's only in three weeks' time. Wow. So anyone heading out to those shows, give us a call. Um, so we'll uh, love to catch up with you there. Fantastic podcast. I hope you've enjoyed it. And if you'd like to know more about what I do and where I am, then you can follow me on Instagram at The Boat Princess. You can also sign up to my newsletter on my website, which is theboatprincess.com. Take care of yourselves, everyone, and hopefully we'll see you on the water soon. Mm.